Hey, what's going on? Welcome to The Doug Show. My name is Doug Cunnington, and in this episode, I interview Brian Brewer of Human Proof Designs. I've been on Human Proof Designs, the podcast, I don't know, something like four or five times. So Niche Site Project and Human Proof Designs, we're all good buddies. So I talked to Brian, who is the new owner at Human Proof Designs. Now, I knew about HPD, as we call it, for quite some time because the founder, Dom Wells, and I, like we started blogging and doing stuff online around the same time, followed uh, sort of the same, I guess, trajectory, although, you know, maybe at different levels or so, because uh, Dom actually sold the business to Brian. And that's what we talk about in this conversation, among other things. One very cool thing is Brian and I have a pretty similar background with like IT and management consulting and, you know, having to work in the corporate world for a little while. In fact, um, well, we didn't talk about it, but I wonder if our, if our paths crossed a little bit over the years, just because of, uh, you know, similar companies that we worked with or worked for or whatever. Anyway, Brian's a great guy, very smart, and it'll be Pretty cool to see what Human Proof Designs has in store coming up over the next several months and just in the future in general. So this was a great conversation. Uh, keep a listen out for you know the way that Brian was able to take his skills from his corporate gig, transfer it over into like his own entrepreneurial type uh, endeavors, and then you know just constantly wanting to learn and do different and new things, stacking skills upon skills and taking it from there. So without further ado, let's talk to Brian Brewer from Human Proof Designs. Hey, what's going on? It's Doug Cunnington here, and I'm with Brian Brewer of Human Proof Designs. How are you today, Brian? I'm doing great. Thank you for having me. And you and I met uh, probably like a month or so ago, and it was a little unexpected. I was, uh, you know, pinging some of my my friends over at Human Proof Designs, and then I found out there was this guy, Brian, doing some stuff, and I didn't know you. So can you just give a little intro on what you're doing at Human Proof and just a high level of your background a little bit? Yeah, sure. So... So yes, I uh, started with Human Proof Designs uh, back in April uh, of this year. So I am the new owner of Human Proof Designs. Um, I started talking with uh, Dom Wells that uh, many of uh, your viewers, I'm sure, uh, know or have heard of uh, back last year and uh, became very interested in the business. Uh, so uh, so took, took that on. Uh, big project kind of started in April, so I've been there uh, right at three months now. Um, so a little bit about me. So I live um, outside of Dallas, Texas, uh, and um, I have uh, four kids. Uh, so stay pretty busy with them, uh, but four kids and a wife. And then uh, we spend a lot of time um, here in Dallas doing all kinds of activities with the kids there in swim team right now. And then uh, we spend most of our summers up at Lake Texoma, uh, which is right around the Oklahoma border. Uh, we have a lake house up there, so we tend to stay up there in the summers and then back down in Dallas uh, for the winters. Uh, and uh, let's see, a couple other things about me. I uh, uh, went to school at LSU and graduated from there. And then 
went and got my uh, master's degree at the University of Texas and have been involved in kind of technology field, uh, consulting, development, online marketing for about 20 years now. Very cool. Very cool. And I, uh, I worked in Dallas for maybe like six months on a project back when I was consulting as well. Great town, really good barbecue, of course, all oh, through yeah. the state, you know, to be honest with you. Um, but yeah, yeah, I really like Dallas. It was similar in a lot of ways to Atlanta, just, you know, better barbecue, I would say. So, <laughs> yeah. Well, it's good to visit down here. In the spring, winter times, so you come down here in summer, you're going to bake quite a bit. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Funny thing. Well, two funny things. I talk about the weather all the time. People make me aware of that. But I was there in like the summer of 2006, which you may not remember since it's been 13 years ago. But it was very warm that summer and it didn't rain much. And I know you guys have, you know, it's like droughts or flooding kind of yeah. thing going on like up and down. So I was there during a very hot, hot summer. And I was like, it hasn't rained in like the whole time I've been here. It's crazy. <laughs> so anyway, I found it very interesting that you and I have a pretty similar background. So you, you were doing like uh, IT kind of stuff and con some consulting. Can you talk a little bit about that? Obviously some of it's confidential yeah. and you know, that's how it works, but can you give us like a background, like how your trajectory took you to where you are now? Yeah, sure. So um, when I graduated college, I started out just as a developer, um, writing applications and several different technologies. Um, back then, we were writing in something called Cold Fusion um, for a while. And uh, originally, one of the big jobs that I started with was up in Virginia. And you may have heard like autotrader.com and trucktrader.com, rvtrader.com, atvtrader.com, all of those. Um, so they had magazines out there at the 7-Elevens everywhere, uh, but they needed an online presence. And that's really when the internet, you know, 20 years ago was really everybody's getting websites and starting to do online commerce. So, uh, so we built those sites um, from the ground up and got those up and running, uh, which was really exciting back then. Um, it was a little scary because we would have uh, different parts of the year when those sites would get lots of traffic and they would be six o'clock in the evening and the sites would just crash uh, because of the load. And so we were frantic. We would work and work and work trying to figure out how do we reduce the loads on that database? How do we cache pages? All these techniques that we hadn't really figured out very well back then. Um, but uh, that's how I got started, really, was kind of developing software and developing online applications uh, for companies, uh, mostly hands-on programming back then. And then I kind of moved into project management. Um, I know you have your PMP. I um, kind of started running and, and managing software development uh, teams and um, helping companies, you know, build out big projects like that. Got my PMP certification um, and did that for quite a number of years, uh, which I loved doing. It was a, a lot of a challenge, uh, but I decided I was I had gotten into consulting at that time, working for Accenture and uh, several of the big uh, consulting firms here in the United States uh, and decided, you know what, the bill rate they bill me out and I make a little sliver of that. Um, I could go off and do that on my own 
And so that's what I did. Um, I started up my own company called Project Consults. This was about 12 years ago uh, that I did that. And um, it's really interesting because my work now with human proof designs, a lot of where we see success is when people focus on really specific niches um, that they can target and gain a lot of traction with. And that's a very similar approach that I took when I started at Project Consults because I could have tried to go out there and be an Accenture and like focus on any kind of general consulting, business IT consulting you want. Uh, but what I did was I had a lot of expertise in a, a tool called TFS, Team Foundation Server, which was a Microsoft application lifecycle management tool. And so I put Google AdWords out there running for, hey, you need TFS consulting because there's not very many people that do it at all, um, as well as Cold Fusion. So by then, eight, nine years later, Cold Fusion had kind of died out. Like people were, it didn't get adopted as much, but there was a lot of companies who jumped on it when it was popular and now they couldn't find anybody to do it. And so that was a niche as well. So I put Google AdWords out there uh, and I started getting calls and I started getting emails on my contact form on my website where people are like, I can't find anybody. Is this something you do? You know, I saw your clicked on your ad on Google. And uh, so I would and, you know, with with that, the consulting gigs like that. I mean, I was talking about, you know, I go and work for somebody for a month and that might be a ten thousand dollar project. And I just spent one hundred dollars that month on Google AdWords. So the return was huge on that. And I got I got way more work than I could handle just by targeting real carefully a couple of technologies that I knew well and, and really got my start uh, on my own 12 years ago doing that. Wow. That's pretty cool. Yeah. I, d- I was wondering about that because I know and a lot of other people that are either that are consultants and worked at one of the big five or whatever, like however many there are now. Um, and it's like, we know like we're being billed out at like some crazy amount, but, and we imagine, Hey, we can do that. But I, I'm like, I couldn't connect the dots to like start my own consulting company. And then I have, I mean, I honestly, I didn't have a, a strong enough network or reputation to do it. Um, but I have some friends that maybe they've been working at Accenture or some other company for like a decade or more. And I'm like, you totally, like they could totally go somewhere else. They have enough people that they know and they can like get like one-on-one gigs, cut all the fat, all the waste in these big companies. So were there any like portions or any times where you were like, Oh, I'm not sure if this is going to work or was it pretty quick with AdWords model there? Well, it's a funny story because the, the, kind of the week that I decided that I was going to start up my company and I was going to leave is um, I uh, got a call just through a, a contact. I got a call uh, from a, a colleague who said, hey, there's somebody who needs some TFS work. I don't know if you're available. And I was like, well, actually, I was thinking about quitting my job. And so, yeah, maybe I could do that as an independent you know, freelancer. And so they offered me this position to help them up in Indianapolis for um, for like six months, you know, doing TFS work. I thought that was great. This would get me on my start of starting my own company. I could get my AdWords out there and do all that. 
Well, I, so I put in my notice and quit my job. And then like a day later, the guy who gave me that gig, he called and said, we changed our mind. So now I had no job and nothing lined up. So I really doubted my decision to go out on my own at that moment. It was a pretty frantic uh, moment there. And so I said, you know what, I'll just live with it. I can, I can find something, um, you know, over the next couple of months and, and I'll, I'll make it. Uh, but luckily, then he called me back like another day later and said, oh, actually, we do want you to come. And so that's what started uh, started my my independent career, basically, was uh, was that. But it was a, it was scary. It was, you know, jumping out on your own. And it's, you know, you never know what's going to happen. And you, you're kind of afraid if, if business is going to come. And so you don't do it. But I'm glad I did it because it's the best thing I ever did. Um, you know, I have, you know, just it's financially like what I was making as a consultant and what I can do today, especially once I started to get more business and I was able to hire some contractors to help me on projects. And then I'm making the bill rate that Accenture was making on those guys and I'm doing nothing. Uh, then it really started to snowball and really started to get great for me. So, um, so really, you know, I'm glad I did it. I have a twin brother and, uh, he, uh, He's been working at a company for many, many years, and he just left his company about three months ago and started on his own. And uh, he is doing uh, custom woodwork furniture. He, he, he's like builds, you know, these uh, magnificent pieces of woodwork and uh, for hotels and individuals, residents all over Dallas. And he has got more work than he can handle. And he was so nervous. He'd been for 10 years staying me on my own. I was so nervous about doing that. He did it. And three months in, he's got more work than he can even handle. So Wow. And he's probably making it all by hand. Like there's no mass production, right, in this situation? Oh, yeah. No, it's all handmade. He's got a big workshop. And, yeah, it does all that. that basically custom, very highly custom wood furniture. So Interesting. Very yeah. interesting. And do you remember like how it felt? I know it's going back 12 years, but like when you realize like this is working and it's so much better than what I was doing before, how did that feel? Oh yeah. It's, you know, you just, um, number one, you get to choose what you're going to do, right? So if you don't like a project or you don't want to do that type of work, um, then you don't have to, you know, and so it gives you a lot of freedom. Uh, and that's that's one thing that I really liked um, just from the very start is I got to kind of choose what I was going to do. Um, one thing that I always liked doing was uh, doing training and helping people learn. And so um, so I kind of built kind of that niche around training. And uh, and so what I did there was I um, start advertising classes, you know, and of course, it takes a lot of time to write curriculum and build Well, you know how long it takes to write good curriculum and classes. And so I decided to partner with a training company, several training companies, actually, that had curriculum. And I said, I'll go teach it and I'll I'll sell it. Um, I just need the curriculum. And that's what I did for a while. And then I kind of got smart and I realized that. I can go teach the classes and do all this work, but 
I could also, I worked out a deal with them, kind of an affiliate model, commission model, where I said, I can go out there and I can sell the classes, which I'm doing anyway, but I'll have somebody else teach it or I'll let my training partner find an instructor for it. I'll just sell it. And so then I got online and started doing a lot of uh, email marketing. So I would find uh, like uh, conferences that had happened in Dallas or in Philadelphia or just wherever around the country uh, of people like in that industry, like an industry related conference. And I would go grab like their speaker list and their attendee list and everything. I could get all these emails and all that, that industry. And then I'd start emailing these folks and advertising my classes. And before you know it, I would get 10 people in a class. You have to keep in mind, IT classes tend to be expensive. So these would be like, you know, $1,800 classes. And I would make a 40% commission for every student I sold into those. So I'd sell 10 people, 15 people into a class and and really, I, I would build up a list of, say, in the Dallas market, 20,000 emails, and I'd blast that out. And I only needed like one-tenth of one percent of 20,000 people to get 10 or 15 people is all I needed to, into a class. And I would make a good $15,000 in a week. And I didn't even have to teach the class. Um, I just sat at home and did it. And, uh, and so I did that, you know, I did my consulting for quite a number of years and then I kind of got into the training world and started doing that and was selling, basically selling classes. And then I found that what I did in Dallas, how many more markets are there like that, uh, where I could do that all across the country. So I, I just basically replicated what I was doing in Dallas and got a, you know, an Austin email list going and a Houston email list going and a Denver email list going. And then I would start selling classes that were offered in those markets. Uh, and I would build out a, like a, I'd have a, a training website and then I would build out a, um, like a local subdomain, you know, denver.projectconsults.com, Houston, so forth. And I'd offer the classes there, have the sign up. I'd market it via email, a little bit of AdWords, but it's real competitive. You know, it, it's really tricky. Like doing consulting, I could do AdWords and make money at it. And those are big ticket things, you know. But then when I got into training, it was a lot more competitive. And and so I couldn't couldn't make as I couldn't really make a lot of profit there. So but email marketing was a really a key thing that I was able to do there and then replicate that around the country into all the different markets and be able to sell those classes. So, um, so lots of different ways, you know, I kind of was able to kind of own what I did and what I decided to do. Interesting. And sounds like similar to me, you, you didn't really have much of a marketing or business background from your university years. Is that accurate? Yeah, I have a, a, a finance degree and then an MBA. So I have kind of the business side, technology and development programming. You think, well, computer science, but no, I was I always did programming and 
technology work, but I really had a business background. Oh, okay. Okay. So you got, you got a big leg up. Okay. Got it. Now that said, did you, when, when did you get your MBA in the, the finance specialization and stuff? Was that all, um, actually I'll just leave it open-ended. When did that happen? Yeah. So, um, I, uh, graduated originally from LSU in 1999 and then, um, and then I, I spent a couple of years out there working, started doing consulting uh, for a local consulting firm and then went and got my MBA. So, um, it, you know, probably about five years, six years after my bachelor's, I got into getting and that took several years to do. But had it, I think it's good to have a couple of years of experience out there in the field, out there in the industry, you know. Um, so then I went back and got the MBA, uh, but that was way before I started up my own company and working on my own. Okay, cool. And that is a hundred percent my observation too. Cause I remember when I graduated and got a job, there were a handful of like, uh, well, yeah, people that got MBAs and they were right out of undergrad got their MBA and then they showed up with us and basically they were the same as everyone else, right? They had no additional experience. They were just like, uh, they took some more classes and paid whatever, 150,000 more dollars or something like that. So, yeah, exactly. Um, interesting. So, okay. And then when you got your MBA, were you thinking, all right, this is just what people do. Um, like after you do some consulting, a lot of other people are doing that, or did you, were you thinking entrepreneurship in the long run? Well, I don't, I don't know uh, if I was thinking about it then I felt probably like a lot of folks do that an MBA is kind of your ticket um, to higher pay, especially in consulting, because when you're on the bench and a company, you know, your consulting firm wants to present you to a potential client, um, it's great to have titles and certifications and degrees behind your name. Um, and so, uh, so that's probably one of the big drivers, at least in the consulting industry, uh, is one of the reasons I went back and got my MBA. Um, and, and the University of Texas is great, but they do have uh, kind of a specialty degrees in like entrepreneurship, which if I had to do it over again, um, that would have been more practical and probably saved me a lot of headache over the years and things that I learned on my own. Um, but uh, I didn't think about it then. But it's certainly I think those entrepreneur related uh, business degrees or MBAs have a lot of value. Sure. For sure. Um, now shifting gears a little bit, um, I'm interested why you were transitioning to, to different business models as you go and you're continuing to do that. I have some theories, you know, like why I would do it, but I'm curious cause it sounded like you had a pretty successful consulting gig and then your own consulting gig and then successful training. And now you yeah. have, uh, you know, human proof design. So right. what's going on? Yeah, so it's a good question. I think it's a mixture of a couple of things. One is, you know, consulting uh, is great for a lot of people. Um, it's challenging, and every few months you get to go work on a new project, so you're not kind of stuck working on the same thing over and over. Um, so I've always thrived on having new challenges, and so consulting was great for me. Um, I didn't ever really like kind of the politics that go on inside of companies and 
as a consultant, you didn't get involved in politics. You were there to do a job. And, uh, and so you didn't have to worry about that. But you also only get paid when you're working. You know, it's an hourly type thing. And so if you're not, if you're not working with a client, then you're not getting paid. So, um, so there is kind of a, a limit to your income potential there. I mean, certainly, you know, you may look at hiring contractors and things, but, you know, then it gets, then you, you know, what happens is your margins start getting eat up when you have someone sit on the bench for two months while you're transitioning to another project or whatever. So even, even that can be a challenge. And so there's, you know, it's a, it's a hard business to, to, to necessarily run. So I really wanted to get into something that had, you know, more, you know, more potential, uh, as well as maybe less work, hopefully. And so that's why I got into, um, you know, transitioned more into the marketing of training classes. Um, I liked to do the training, but training to me was was even more difficult than consulting because at least in consulting, like, you, you know, you can sit and, and study a problem or work on uh, software or something on your own, when you're teaching, you're hundred percent on that whole day and standing in front of a class and working with those students. And so it's, it, you know, you feel drained at the end of the day. Um, and so, but when you're marketing and you're selling the classes, uh, like I was doing, um, I could make quite a bit of money and I, you know, I mean, it's, it's nothing is free in this world. It still required a lot of work, but, uh, there was a lot of income potential. I didn't have to travel as much um, doing consulting or, or training. Uh, and so that was good, especially, you know, starting a family and having kids. That was a big plus to me. Um, so that's that's why I got into into that. Um, the other part of part of the other reason is I just like something different. And I'm always, you know, looking for another challenge. Um what's what's next and so that's that's another reason i did that got it yep and i think probably a lot of people in the audience can appreciate the fact of like you know starting something new it's very exciting to learn like a whole new set of skills and like being that beginner's sort of mindset where you're making some mistakes and you don't know like how naive you are like when you're getting into something new and then you learn more and then things are good again um, so that, that's very, very cool. Now, did you have any specific uh, like challenges as you were transitioning from one to the other or it was like pretty easy, like jump off points? Well, yeah, it's it's not easy when you start something new. Um, you know, when you move when I moved from consulting into doing training, um, you know, one thing that helped was, of course, licensing content from from other companies. But. Uh, but eventually I, you know, started to develop my own content and then there's a huge amount of investment of time to do that. Um, and there's just, there's just a lot to figure out as far as, you know, how, like in that industry, you know, how, how many days do you sell something for? Do you do a two day class or a three day class? Um, you know, back then we were kind of, you know, everything was in classroom and then we started doing virtual classes. And so then that's a whole nother challenge of, of how to do virtual classes and keep people engaged. And uh, so there's a lot, there's a learning curve to trying anything new. And then when you get into 
online marketing, especially email marketing, uh, that's a whole nother challenge. Uh, you know, this was, you know, eight, 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 nine years ago or so. And so it was a little bit easier then, but still you had to be careful about your email reputation. You had to be careful about how many bounce backs you got, how many spam reports you got, um, you know, what your open rates were, all of those things. Uh, Cinder score is a, is a real popular site to go out and check your, your reputation. Um, and so just learning everything about that, uh, because I mean, I, I started out, I didn't, I got kicked off more than one email, uh, email company trying to learn this process. And so, um, and so you feel like, ah, oh, you defeated and that you're not going to figure this out, but you know, you slowly get better at it. And, uh, and then you, it turns into like a machine. You just, you've got it down to a, a science and that's where you eventually it gets easier. Gotcha. And uh, what'd you do if you remember <laughs> to get kicked off that uh, like email provider there? Yeah. So, you know, today we try to build lists organically just by having great content that people are signing up for an ebook or some type of lead magnet that we do. Um, generally, just buying email lists is not a good idea. Um, scraping emails is probably not a good idea either. Uh, but, and certainly now, I mean, the industry changes, uh, what we could do in email marketing eight or nine years ago, we can't do today, but back then I would, I would scrape sites and I would, you know, find email lists all over the place. And of course, when you email those lists, initially you have a huge bounce rate. You may get a 40% bounce rate on an email list of a hundred thousand people and when your email provider sees that, they're they're going to probably ban you. Um, but you know, the cool thing is, you know, once you figure figure out how it works, you know, I could say, okay, now I have the email list clean. I've got those forty percent bounces out of here. I've got all valid accounts. Now I just have to nurture it in a way that I get the interested folks out of this list and down into a manageable point. You know, so. So, yeah, you know, I think starting out with some of that scraping and email list purchasing um, got me kicked off more than once. But Okay, that totally makes sense. Yeah, it was a different time back then. And just thinking of like how I do, how I run my email list where it's like, you know, uh, double opt-in, you know, a person yeah. has to confirm and then I'm cleaning the list like every month basically. So yeah, it's, it's much more precise these days. I mean, marketers abuse everything. That's just what we do. So yeah, yeah, it is. It's, it's funny because at human proof designs, when we do the same thing, we have, you know, opt-ins and um, if we don't hear from you after a certain amount of time, we clean you off, off the list and, we just want to keep people who are relevant and interested. And so our list may be relatively small compared to when I was blasting out huge volumes uh, to a city to sell training classes. You know, now that, you know, it doesn't work. It doesn't work because this technology has gotten too good. You know, the filtering is out there now to filter out those types of emails. I mean, I probably look in my spam and you know 90% of the email volume I get is sitting in spam so it's really hard to get in someone's inbox you've got to have a relationship with them 
and you have a lot better chance nowadays. For sure. So take us to like how you met Dom and were introduced to human proof designs and that sort of process. Very interesting. I've known Dom for a few years. We started around the same time. So yeah, I'm just curious how all this took place. Yeah. So I've been looking for another opportunity. I'm always looking for an opportunity. I was looking for an opportunity for probably a year and a half. And so I had contacted FE International, um, which is a real popular online business broker and let them know what I was looking for. And so they started to send me leads on, you know, businesses that were up for sale, different opportunities that would come up. Um, and they, you know, got on like their early bird list. So I'd know about some of these things before the general public did. And, uh, that was great, but you know, you really have to wait for the right opportunity. So it took me a year and a half of every week, probably looking at two or three opportunities. Um, and, and, you know, some of them I knew right away, this was not for me and, and others, you know, did a little bit of research and work into it before I, you know, decided it wasn't for me. So, you know, it takes, it takes time, but, um, I didn't want to just jump on the first thing. And I've seen that happen with, with some folks who have gone out to FEI or Empire or some of the other and snatched up a business because they, you know, they're looking for something. Uh, but I would just tell people, wait, take your time. Uh, the right opportunity will come up. And so it took me about a year and a half. There were a couple that came up that I was really interested in during that year and a half. And I, you know, kind of took my time. Oh, you know, I'm going to think about it. And I spent a week or two by the time I got back to Effie and said, I want this business. They said, sorry, it's already gone. It's already sold. So, you know, you got to take your time and, and find the right business, which is what I did. I spent a lot of time, but you also have to be ready to move if you find the right opportunity for you. So, um, so yeah, human proof designs, um, was actually listed with, uh, the brokerage FE international. That's how I came to know Dom and human proof designs. And so, uh, that was, uh, last year, um, uh, latter part of last year. And so I spent some time learning about the business and working with Dom and, uh, just kind of understanding what was going on with the company. Um, and then, you know, we took it from there. Okay. Cool. And I'm pretty sure you can't answer much of this. So I'll ask it in a general way so you can bow out very gracefully. So for people that are interested, because I know there's some folks that are like, how much was the selling price? I won't ask you that, by the way. And just in general, I'm not going to ask anything around that. But can you talk about some of the, the general aspects of like a deal like that? So like, what were some of the things you were concerned about? And then I know you worked with Dom. Like, what do you think some of the things maybe that he was concerned about so that you can make the transaction happen? Yeah. Yeah. And so something like this is, you know, when we're looking at, especially with human proof designs, we're buying and selling businesses and working with folks every day uh, and mostly in the affiliate uh, marketing model. There it's a little bit easier because you you usually don't have a, a large expense, recurring expenses, um, staff and overhead and all of those things that need to be accounted for, as well as income verification is typically easier in some of those types of businesses. Um, so if there's a due diligence period that you go through um, to 
kind of understand what the business is doing from a revenue standpoint, how the operations are being run, um, you know, uh, every aspect of the company really. Uh, and so we, we spent quite a, that's honestly, it took, I think, um, five months from the time I submitted an offer for the company to when we closed. Um, so it was a lot of work and, uh, I'm, you know, I'm sure Dom was glad to reach that, that closing day. And I was too. Um, but you know, you really have to spend a lot of time in due diligence going through everything. And, um, you know, there's some lessons learned, I think for both Dom and I, as we went through that process. And, um, you know, I think one of those is, and if, if, if any, you know, people know Dom, he started, I believe, in 2013 and then kind of grew the company over a number of years. And, uh, you know, he didn't come from a background of running big companies. So it was a learning experience for him as well. Um, but if you're out there looking to sell a business, one thing that makes it much easier, I would have, you know, it doesn't take five months to get through due diligence is make sure your record keeping is really, really good. Um, cause a lot of entrepreneurs and folks like me, we, we just love, like, I love technology, but I hate the accounting part, you know? Um, but if you've got a business today and you're thinking about selling it in a year or two from now, like you, you've got to have your accounting in place. You've got to have documentation of your processes operationally, all those things you need to start thinking about today because, um, that's what was a real challenge with Human Brick Designs. Really, was it was a great company, had great people, but we, you know, when you're buying a company, you, you know, of course you're 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 buying that revenue, and so you've got to document it, and you've got to have good documentation of it. And so that that was certainly a big challenge in that process. Um, but uh, but yeah, it's it took probably five months, and I learned a lot through that process. Very interesting. Yeah, it's a big. I imagine a big transaction <laughs> to say the least. So uh, congratulations on the acquisition, of course. And as we're, we're starting to wrap up here, um, funny thing, a quick digression, right? I told you earlier, Brian, that um, we go on tangents sometimes. So uh, <laughs> as we were, as we were trying to do this call, um, Brian couldn't hear me for like 10 minutes or something. So, uh, eventually, we got Skype working, but we're we're running a little little bit short on time, so we're going to finish up. But I'm sure we could have you on for round two sometime in the future, Brian. Um, yeah. So before we go, before we go on, um, obviously people could find you human proof designs and stuff like that. But I'm curious um, about any future plans that you may have coming up with HPD. I know um, when you know there's new new leadership in place. Sometimes some new things happen. So what do you got going on? Well, we do. We have a lot going on, um, and so I'll I'll kind of give you the spill on a few things that are coming. Uh, number one, uh, so many of, of you guys know that we um, offer content services. Uh, so we help write article and blog content, and we've done that for a number of years. So we're changing that model a bit. We've um, hired some new staff as well as changed some of the roles. And we now have dedicated content managers that actually start today. And uh, so when you come to Human Proof Designs and you want content, you're going to work with a single person. Uh, and that single person is going to be responsible for understanding your needs and goals with the content on your site and 
what you need to help grow it. They're going to write outlines for that. Uh, and then they'll be responsible for coordinating with our writer staff and our editor staff uh, to get your content developed. Uh, and then they'll be responsible for actually going out and getting that uploaded and formatted to your site and selecting the right images and all of that. So they're going to get to know your site really well. Um, so those who have worked with us in the past, maybe you've had um, experience working with a researcher and then someone else who's doing the writing and editing management and then someone else who does uploading and image selection, all these different processes. And one thing coming from a technology background and kind of the DevOps world over the last few years is optimization of a process. And when you have lots of handoffs, there's a lot of opportunity for wait times. There's also a lot of opportunity for error and mistakes to happen. And so reducing the handoffs as much as possible is one of the, the goals we've had. And so all of our teams are kind of moving uh, to that model to really have a dedicated uh, content manager in this case for you. Some of the other things we're bringing out um, end of this summer, we're going to be offering video services. Uh, so we're going to be doing article trailers, which are like 90 second intros uh, to an article, to a topic or review, whatever it might be that you can blast out on YouTube, blast out on um, your site, blast out on social media. You know, people love these little 90 second videos. It really gets them engaged and they want more. And so they're going to click over and you're going to drive traffic uh, via those 90 second trailers, as well as going to do full on like five minute videos where we take an article that you've written or that you already have. And we have in a professional uh, video recording studio with actors um, who actually will convert your article into a, uh, a video and then we'll professionally produce that. And you can release that video on YouTube, your site. You know, um, Google does take into um, account uh, video as part of the rankings of your content. And so we find that um, a mixture of, of video is important on your site. Um, we're getting the guest posts. Um, we've been doing that privately for our SEO clients on those packages for a number of years now. So we've built a large database um, that we've done through just organic outreach. And so we're now going to make that publicly available um, outside of our SEO clients. Um, and then the biggest news is, you know, we've been involved in affiliate marketing and websites for many years, have a lot of expertise in that. Uh, but we're getting into some new business models, um, which is going to be exciting. And we're, we're kind of taking a spin on some of those. You've probably heard of, you know, um, um, some of them like drop shipping and local lead gen and all, all kinds of different business models out there. But a lot of those don't leverage what we've learned in affiliate marketing around how to build organic traffic and not just rely like on ad spends to generate traffic um, for these different business models. So we're taking a hybrid model of some of what we've done and seen really work for our customers and really able to build big businesses and expand that into a couple other business models that we're going to be offering uh, the end of August. So some cool things are coming. Very cool. Very cool. So you have dedicated uh, like content managers to help clean up the process, potentially, uh, or, or I guess not potentially, but you have video services that are going to be rolling out too. Yeah. And then like different business models. So someone could buy a 
done for you um, drop shipping site or lead generation type site? Yeah, and they'll be in the the human proof design style and utilizing some of the things that work really well in affiliate marketing. Um, there's been a number of studies recently, and we have one customer over in the UK who a uh, huge um, e-commerce site selling jewelry and related items. And, uh, you know, they have it down to a science of here's what we need to do from an ad, st- uh, ad spend standpoint. Here's how many Facebook ads and so forth. Here's the click rates. Here's what we're going to make if we spend X dollars. But as soon as you turn that off, that you don't, you're not making anything, you know. And so what a lot of e-commerce providers are finding is that if we can build organic traffic and organic content to our site, we can reduce that ad spend and we have kind of an ongoing stream there. Uh, and so that's that's becoming, I think, um, more well known among some folks within the e-commerce world and just something that um, that we've developed a model around that we're going to start offering our customers. Right. That's great. I mean, it's it's funny. The business models are so close together and a lot of us know each other and stuff. But it's like you can use ideas from other places in your other business model and like it may work like the keyword golden ratio. In fact, that's one that I hear from people occasionally to use the keyword golden ratio to get organic traffic to their e-commerce site. And they're like, hey, it works for us too, not just affiliate marketers, which I mean, that's yeah. what we knew the whole time. So yeah, anyone can use it. Awesome. Yeah, you're absolutely right. Yeah. Very cool. Well, Brian, thanks a lot. Um, looking forward to hearing more uh, from you and about those services specifically. So I appreciate the time and everyone be sure to check out uh, Human Proof Design. So thanks, Brian. Yeah, thanks for having me, Doug. Appreciate it. Thanks again to Brian for taking the time to chat with me for this interview. And like I mentioned before, I'm excited to see, you know, what Human Proof Designs has coming out in the next little bit here. So be sure to check out the services they provide. By the way, I am an affiliate for Human Proof Designs and recently I should have a discount code. I'm not sure what it will be. I haven't gotten it yet, but I'll put it in the show notes and stuff. So if you're looking to buy some stuff, particularly like the aged sites out there for human proof designs or the pre-made done for you type affiliate sites. Um, Those are the ones you should definitely look out for. So I'm currently doing a case study on that. So it's an age site case study where I purchased a site that was out of the Google sandbox already. In fact, it was already getting traffic and I bought this from human proof designs And then I'm outsourcing a lot of the other work that needs to be done, basically as much of the other work as I possibly can get other people to do. So that is sort of the approach for this case study. You can get more information on that at nichesiteproject.com slash ASCS for this age site case study. So if I can try to speak clearly here, but I'll put links in the show notes and well, you know, at this point, there's several other episodes out there. So maybe you've heard of it so far or you've heard of it already. So anyway, check that stuff out. I'm an affiliate for Human Proof Designs, but I'm also a customer and I pay for the products I get from them. So anyway, Human Proof Designs, they do a great job. One of the cool things with the case study is I'm not buying all the services from Human Proof Designs. 
someone actually asked about that. Hey, why don't you just buy everything from HPD? Well, I like those guys a lot, but I want to talk about interesting things. And if I just buy everything from one spot, it is far less interesting. It's far less interesting for me to talk about. And part of the case study is to just like test services, see how they work, see how you can pair different services together to maybe get, you know, better than the sum of the the parts there. So that's kind of the idea. Check it out if you are interested in that sort of thing. And speaking of the aged site case study, I did get a question in a few days ago from my friend Johan coming out of Iceland. So thanks for sending this in, Johan. And he wanted to ask about link building and purchasing links from the Hoth or LoganX or other companies. And basically, Johan said this, personally, I want to use only, quote, white hat links, as you call it. And this is for two reasons. Most important, I want to have as much quality as I can on my site for the readers. And I'm thinking about the long-term business. And I believe it's essential to know the quality of the links that I put into the article, or that at least that are you know, pointing to my site. And for the same reason, which companies and blogs and so on. So for example, Johan says, I never review material from companies um, that I don't have their product or don't trust their product. And actually, let me rephrase that. I think what Johan's trying to say is, I don't review products from companies when I don't trust their product or the company in general. And if there was a link from them on their site, you would, they believe, right? Uh, Johan believes that it would be sending the wrong messages. Part two of Johan's statement here is the worry about uh, risk because of the problems that it may cause. So I'm putting all of my, actually, let me rephrase this again. So basically, basically, Johan thinks it could be too risky to, to get backlinks from a company like the Hoth or LoganX or whatever. And then Johan says that there are links that he uses and he feels like he trusts them. And some of those are like press releases and certain companies offer that. I know, actually, I think the Hoth offers that. Human Proof Designs offers that. And there are, there's probably a hundred companies that do it, at least, you know, a hundred that you could probably just find in the next few minutes here if you search for it. And Johan says he personally trusts the Human Proof Designs press releases. And he says it feels like uh, it's real news um, and so on and so forth. So, I'm not sure 100% if Johan actually had a question in there or just a series of statements, but I will comment on them since that's what I do here. So number one, anytime you're paying for a service to build links to your site, technically, that is not white hat. So if you want to call it gray hat, maybe it's gray hat. If you want to put some other label on it, that's fine with me. I mean, it's just semantics at that point. But basically, if you're doing any activity, right, this is per the Google Webmaster Tools, subject to your interpretation. But generally, if you're doing any activity with the purpose of getting a higher rankings, whether it's building links, whether it's paying for links, whether it's getting a press release, whether it's getting guest posts, whether it's actually like putting like 
uh, like a guest post on someone's site with the hopes that your your rankings will go up. All of that is technically against the rules because, you know, I don't have the the webmaster guidelines right in front of me right this second, but generally doing something to improve your rankings, especially paying money for a link that is frowned upon. We'll just put it that way. So uh, read read uh, the webmaster guidelines uh, on your own, make your own interpretations. People interpret this differently, right? So, I mean, technically, if you do a guest post and it's like a normal guest post that maybe even someone contacted you and asked you to write for their site, if you're doing it with the intention of getting a backlink to your site so that your rankings go up, technically, that is not white hat. Technically, that is, you know, frowned upon. I'll just use that sort of vague phrase again, even though it's nonspecific. And of course, you may, you probably think this is how I look at it too. Like, how does anyone know what your actual intentions are? So we can only judge from, you know, how we are viewing someone else's activities. And the main idea there is to try not to make it look like you're doing some, you know, crazy, um, you know, gray hat link building. You try to make it, you know, seem as natural as possible, hence the guest posting. And the the guest posting links that I am getting from the Hoth and from Logan X, they are on sites that have very high quality content. They have real organic traffic going to the sites, which you can verify it's independent third-party sources like SEMrush, uh, KW Finder, and the suite of tools that they have there, or Ahrefs, or wherever else you want to like judge organic traffic. So that is the huge thing. That is like sort of the groundbreaking change that I've seen here in 2019, where you can hire a service to do guest posting for you and then get those links, get those guest posts published on sites that actually get traffic from Google, organic search that you can like verify independently away from the service that you're actually getting the links from. Now, to Johan's point, our press release is good or bad? I don't know. I think they're probably fine. But if if you're thinking, "Hey, I'm I'm I have less risk because I'm doing press releases versus guest posts, I would challenge you to like quantify that or justify it in in some like logical concrete ways. Now, sure kind of makes sense a little bit, but it's really hard to prove. And then it's one of those situations where, you know, we're talking about semantics here. It's a risk level. And Johan's right. Your risk level would be lower if you didn't build any, or if you build fewer backlinks and mainly just stick to a certain kind, maybe these press releases, but I don't, I'm not personally doing it that way. Um, And I've never gotten press releases before. So in, in my, the, what I've seen, those press releases aren't generally very helpful, um, as particularly if you're just doing them alone. Um, and I, I would ask Johan, actually shoot me a message back. Let me know when you get the press releases, are you seeing like, oh, my rankings went up and this is a viable route to get links or what's the situation? Because my hunch is if press releases were really effective and 
economical and it made sense, then that would probably be really apparent, like people would talk about it and there would be many case studies out there where people would say things like, I only get press releases and I'm ranking and getting lots of traffic, blah, blah, blah. But generally we do not see those. In fact, I, I haven't heard anyone talk about press releases in a really long time. So with that said, I have no actual conclusion. As I mentioned here, I'm not 100% sure of the exact question that uh, Johan wanted to ask, but it, there's some good talking points here, some good points of view, and I don't necessarily disagree with Johan. I'm just uh, stating my generally un uninformed opinions here. So I think I'll leave it at that, and we will catch you on the next episode of The Doug Show. Thanks again to Brian and Human Proof Designs, Johan, for sending in that question. If you want your question featured, by the way, you can shoot me an email, feedback at doug.show, or leave a voicemail at the uh, number. It's in the show notes and description, but it's 406-813-0613. I happen to have the phone number handy for once. So we will uh, talk to you in the next episode. Have a great day.